So we are on our continuing sermon series about the fruit of the Spirit, and today it's going to be on goodness, the goodness of God. And one of the things that have struck me as I've prayed about these series of messages, and I was talking to one of our members this morning, it has struck me how at the moment that we are saved, it's as if God has given us a toolkit. He has given us all of the things that we need to be Christians. He's inserted it into our heart. And so many of us have spent a lifetime not recognizing, really not recognizing, that he's given us these things, the very qualities of the Spirit of God in so many ways. And so today, we're going to talk about the goodness of God, the goodness of God that is in your very heart. And so the fifth fruit of the Spirit that Paul identified is really goodness, uh, and kindness and goodness have a lot in common. Uh, One thing that the Bible associates with both goodness and kindness is generosity. And so generosity links both of those words together. Now, Jesus told a a famous story about a vineyard owner uh, who hired workers to work in the vineyard. Uh, And as he did that, uh, he went out to get workers. He hired some who started at early in the morning, some started at noon, and some he even hired at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And yet when it came time to pay, the vineyard owner, uh, who was a godly man, paid everyone the same. It didn't matter whether you had started early in the morning or whether you started late in the afternoon. Uh, you got paid for a whole day's wages. Uh, and Jesus was doing this because the vineyard owner effectively mimicked God. That's how God is with us, uh, his generosity. Well, as you can imagine, dealing with human beings, the earlier workers complained. They didn't like the fact that those folks that came on later in the day got paid the same as they got paid. Uh, And so in Jesus' parable, he repeats these words, and you'll see it on the screen in Matthew 20, verse 15. Are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? And that's what we live with, the very generosity of God in all aspects of our our lives. And so the word that Paul uses here uh, is the same one that Paul uses as good. It's the same word. Jesus effectively is saying that that good people do not always worry about what is strictly fair. Uh, Rather, they are likely to err on the side of generosity and kindness. What an example that is for us as to how we live, to be generous in every aspect of our life, to be good in every aspect of our life. It was not the men's fault that they were hired late in the day. That's just a circumstance of what occurred, and God knew that they needed a full day's wages to pay for food and supplies at their home. And so the the owner chooses to be good and generous towards their need, just as God does for us. So now the question really lies, what is at the heart of goodness. What quality do we see in someone when we say, well, he's a really good man or a really good woman? Well, I think one of the key qualities that we see is what I call integrity. 
which is an absence of any kind of guile or deception. It's transparency. Uh, in other words, the behavior on the outside of that person matches what's in their heart. There is no pretense. Uh, and so when they do good, when they do good in the world season, it's not as if they are play acting, but they are doing exactly as what they are defined as. Uh, they're not trying to get a sound bite. Uh, they're not trying to get on the news. They're just doing what God has called them to do. Do good people, you see, do what is good simply because it is the right thing to do. Goodness has a transparent quality about it. Now, since this is part of the fruit of the Spirit of God, uh, we can begin by looking at the source of all goodness, God himself. And the Bible is replete with so many references to the very source of that goodness. Uh, if you look at Psalm 136, verse 1, you'll read, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I love that verse. It's so simple and straightforward. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Now, when Moses, uh, after he had taken uh, the people of, e of Israel out, out of Egypt, uh, asked God to show him his glory, uh, God responded. Uh, and he responded in Exodus 33, verse 19, where he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name. Can you imagine? All my goodness, the veritable goodness, the self-description of God himself, my goodness will pass in front of you. And so Moses saw that goodness in the shadow uh, because he couldn't look directly into the face of God. And so God is generous. God is trustworthy. He is without any deception whatsoever. He has no evil within him. None whatsoever. And he is like that always, through and through, like a solid rock in his own character and all his actions. Uh, no matter what circumstances are, or what we go through, uh, or what it may appear to be, God is good. And God does good. That's important for you to remember, because sometimes you're going to go through circumstances in life where things may not appear to be good, where you're wondering whether God is there for you. I want you to understand God is always good. God is always generous. God is always kind in every aspect of his relationship with us, even when bad things happen. And guess what? Bad things will happen because we're in an evil world. But even when bad things happen, God, in his sovereignty, can overrule the evil and bring about a good result. And one of my favorite stories about this really is the story of Joseph. And I love that story because it shows you what happens when the human spirit conspires to do evil. And you know the story of Joseph where his brothers detested Joseph and were jealous of him, uh, even as his father Jacob loved him. And, and so as a result of that, they threw him into a pit. They sold Joseph into slavery, into Egypt. And then Joseph spent the next 17 years in slavery, in slavery, including a number of years in prison. 
because of the evil of his brothers. And make no mistake about it, it was the evil of his brothers. Well, there came a time, you see, when his brothers uh, left Canaan and came to Egypt in order not to starve to death. And so when they were there, they came in front of this man who was Joseph, not realizing that over the years his countenance had changed. And so they came in front of him, and finally Joseph reveals to them who he is, and they are fearful, and they're struck in dread because they know what they did. And Joseph says this famous statement found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As Joseph told his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I actually like the King James Version better which goes on your refrigerator, which says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. That is the generosity of the goodness of God. Uh, And so what does it mean? Does he make the evil good? No, he doesn't make the evil good because evil is evil and God knows no evil. But God takes the circumstances of the evil and he changes the circumstances so that the resultant circumstances wind up being good. He has the very power in his sovereignty to bring good results out of the evil that people perpetrate. Uh, And this is what God does for you every day of your life, even as you don't recognize it. His goodness overcomes evil uh, for good. God is in charge, and God is good. Now, if God is utterly good, as the Bible tells us, then it is not surprising that the people who have following him and give their hearts to him begin to reflect his veritable character and are marked by the same quality of God himself. A very good example of this is Daniel. Daniel, and it would be good for you when you get a chance to read the book of Daniel. There's not a lot of chapters, but it's an extraordinary life. And Daniel is taken a captive out of Israel by the Babylonians when he was a young teenager and brought into Babylon. He was an extraordinarily gifted man, great intellect. And so the Babylonians knew this, and so they educated and trained him. And as a result of that, Daniel rose through the administration of Babylon and became exceedingly important. Well, one day those people that were ambitious and detested Daniel decided to get the king to enter an edict that requires every single person to worship an idol. Well, Daniel would not worship an idol because Daniel was good. He served the one and only God. And when you serve the one and only God, you cannot deter from doing what is good. And so Daniel refused to serve the idol. And in the privacy of his own home, he did his prayer. But those who detested him uh, brought that charge to the king, and as a result of that, Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Now, it broke the king's heart to have to do this, but he was trapped and had to do it since it was his own uh, decree. Uh, And so you see this. This is another element of goodness, meaning what? We do good 
even when it costs us. There are going to be times in your life when you're going to have to step out and do something good and serve God uh, in a righteous way, and it may cost you. And I want you to know that God see this, sees this and responds accordingly. And look what happened after Daniel spent a night in the lion's den. Take a look at that in Daniel chapter 6, verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Notice that, an anguished voice. He was concerned because he cared for Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, and this is a pagan, mind you, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. You see, that's the veritable essence of the goodness of God. He protected Daniel because Daniel was righteous, because Daniel continued to worship him. And God uses that in our lives to demonstrate to people that don't know God who God is. Do you think that king knew about the living God other than what his experience was with Daniel? That is our responsibility. This is why God gives you the fruit of the Spirit. You are to live a righteous life. You are to live a good life. You are to be generous in your life because when the world sees this generosity, it knows that this does not come from the human spirit. Now, another word, you see, that is close, very close to the terminology of goodness here in the Old Testament is righteousness. Righteousness, another close word. The righteous person is the one who responds to the love and grace and mercy of God, of salvation, by seeking to live in God's way and seeking to advance his will. Now, there are several descriptions, you see, in the Old Testament of this typically righteous person, and this is how we are to live. Look at Psalm 15, verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. This is the veritable roadmap to serving God. 
This is what God requires of us. This is the very definition of goodness and righteousness. Our walk is blameless as we walk with him. Uh, and we do what is right. It comes from our heart. We're fully transparent. We never slander somebody. How about that? You don't say an ill word about somebody. You don't slur anybody. All right? If you don't have something good to say, you shut your mouth. That's what God expects from you. All right? And you should despise evil. In the psalm there, it says you despise a vile person. It's not the personage that you despise. It's the conduct that you despise. All right? But you honor those who fear the Lord. Uh, and you keep an oath even when it hurts. How about that? You make a promise and you live up to your promise, even if the promise is difficult to live by. And in your generosity, you give to the poor. You give to the poor. You give to the needy. You give to those who, who are less fortunate. That's what God expects from us. This is how we are to live. There's no mystery. And when you live like this, you will never be shaken. That's the promise. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Jesus, you see, is the prototypical example of goodness, of the veritable goodness of God. You see that in his life. It also means that Jesus did what was always right. He knew what his father wanted him to do, and he served him even when it was difficult. Uh, he had righteous integrity. He never failed. He never sinned. He walked in that righteousness. He refused to deviate from what he knew was the Father's will, even when he was given easier circumstances to do so. Uh, the devil, you see, tempted him three times in the wilderness uh, to take an easier route. You don't have to go and do this. I'll make it easier for you. I'll give you the world. And yet Jesus understood that wasn't the call in his life. You don't take the easy route out when you're good and when you're, you have the fruit of the Spirit. You don't do that. Jesus resisted. And then sometimes temptation comes from a friend. How about even from a disciple? How about Simon Peter? Oh, Jesus, no. You shouldn't suffer. You shouldn't get pain. You shouldn't have to do this. You don't have to go to the cross. Uh, and Jesus repudiated it because he understood. Peter didn't understand. Peter was being used by Satan. And Jesus was obedient in every way, uh, even as Peter tried to deflect him from the cross. Even his mother, you see, the mother of our Lord, Mary, and his brothers uh, tried to get him to come home at one point in his ministry, because they thought his ministry was embarrassing uh, and being risky uh, and being ridiculed, and they wanted him to come home. Uh, and what did he say? Jesus claimed that his true mother and his true brothers and sisters were those who did the will of God. There it is. You want to be part of the family of God? Do the will of God. Walk in goodness, walk uh, in righteousness. Then look even at, at the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is there and being arrested, and you know they came with 800 soldiers or so to arrest him. Can you imagine? That's how fearful they were. And Jesus could have called a battalion of soldiers down uh, to wipe them out, to rescue him, but he did not. 
because he knew in his goodness, in his righteousness, and in integrity, he had to serve the will of the Father. Even Pontius Pilate, during the trial of Jesus, dangled the possibility of release before Jesus uh, because he knew that Jesus was staring at the cross and Jesus did not bite at that bait. And so through all these temptations and all these diversions, you see, Jesus demonstrated his goodness, the very essence of God, through his integrity and his determination to do what was right, to never deviate from that, to do the will of his Father in every circumstance of his life. And so you see the goodness of God is seen in the Spirit of Christ. And that is why this fruit of the Spirit resides in your heart. Goodness comes from the life of God within us. It comes from the life of Christ within you. You have the goodness of God and the goodness of Christ in your heart. Now, it's your job to nurture it, to let it bloom, to let it come out, to let it impact the world. You've got it. Now, you need to walk with it. Uh, Goodness is a heart thing, you see. It comes from inside your heart. You need to pray to God, Lord, help me to exhibit this goodness. Let Let me be a better man or woman. Let the evidence of who is in the inside of me be on the outside of me. Let this fruit be demonstrated to a lost world. Now, Jesus, you see, makes this point very poignantly in Luke chapter 6, verse 43, where he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from a thorn bush or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the goods good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What we do shows who we are. All right? There it is. There it is. When you live a habit, a lifetime of habit, of not being good, of entertaining evil thoughts, what do you think comes out of you? Is it a surprise when all of a sudden a bad word comes out of your mouth or an evil thought comes out of your mouth or you're not kind and you're not generous? It's because you've nurtured those things your whole life. But instead, if you nurture the fruit of the Spirit that's in you, the veritable goodness of God, and you nurture it and pray to God and ask him to give you strength, he will. It'll be exhibited because goodness is in your heart and goodness will be exhibited to a lost world. Uh, What we do when we live like this is every day of our lives, more and more, we show the very character of Jesus Christ in every way that we think and act, and speak. This is exactly what God expects us to do. Not only only does the goodness of the Holy Spirit grow within ourselves, but we also begin to notice and encourage the same fruit in others. How about that? 
you're in church. You're with godly people. And now even as God is nurturing that fruit within you, you begin to notice that fruit with your friends, your Christian friends, your church friends. You see them exhibit that goodness. You see them step out for those in need. You see them volunteer in a service. You see them get here several hours before church because they're concerned about church. They're concerned about you. You see it on stage with the choir. The fact that they practice so hard because goodness is in their heart and God is using them to promote that very character of God in so many ways. And so what you recognize, we are being transformed. You're not the same man or woman you were before you were saved. In fact, as you walk with God and you nurture the fruit of the Spirit, He is transforming your life. I will say honestly that I, I see a significant difference in the way I act uh, even over the past several years. As I recognize my responsibility to pray to God, to ask Him to bring the fruit of the Spirit out in my life, He does. He does, and you'll see the change every day in your life, and you'll notice that change with those who surround you because they all have the same spirit that's in you. You are brothers and sisters of the great creator, God himself and Jesus Christ. Now, doing good is an essential part of Christian living. Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about what it meant to live good, what it meant to reign with God, what it meant to have that kind of life. And Jesus expected a radical change of life and a radical change in attitude in order to reflect what God wants from us. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is not a whole new set of rules. It's nothing about rules, but actually what it is, uh, it's a change of thinking and behavior as we are invested with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus spoke about. As we submit to the will of God and walk with God and let God reign in our lives as we acknowledge uh, Jesus Christ in every way. Jesus expected his disciples to stand up uh, and live and speak in a character that exposed that they were with the living God. He expected them to live in a different way. And so in that sense, you understand, we, we are expected to be different. We are expected to speak in a distinctive voice and to live a different kind of life. Uh, in that sense, we are as different as salt is from rottenness. That's how different we are to be. Uh, Paul goes on to explain uh, in detail what Jesus meant when he stressed that his disciples must be the light. And I love this, this explanation. He did not say, Paul said, Jesus did not say, let your light shine so that people will hear your personal testimony or listen to your great preaching. It's not about you, you understand? It's not about narcissism. You're not about lifting yourself up. You're lifting him up. That's what it means to let his light shine. And what he meant by light was your life. You understand? Your life. Let your life be the example. You don't have to be a great preacher, all right? You don't have to have an incredible testimony. Instead, let your life speak 
of Jesus in your spirit. That's what it's about. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others, that they may see our good deeds and glory your Father in heaven. Notice that. Good deeds. Let the world see your good deeds, because when it sees your good deeds, it's going to know. It's going to know that you walk with him uh, in a powerful way. When Jesus here talks about light, he's not, he's not talking about words. He's talking about your life, the veritable, most important thing that you have, your life. Uh, he is calling for lives that are attractive by fi- being filled with goodness, mercy, love, compassion, and justice. That's the kind of life you should have. Can you imagine living that way in a world that is filled with rot and garbage? And yet you have that kind of life. All of this will draw Christ to God as they will see this in your life and know that this doesn't come from mere human conduct. Now, the Apostle Paul had a great deal to say about the importance of Christians uh, being people who do good. Uh, And, you know, my grandfather used to drill a verse home to me, and and I didn't put it on the board uh, because it came to me through the Spirit afterwards. Uh, and, and it's Ephesians 2.10. When I would be 9 years old or 10 years old or 11 years old, when I would see him, he'd walk up to me. He said, hey, bud, Ephesians 2.10, what is it? Uh, I don't know. All right. But after about 8 or 9 years, I knew that I'd have to know that verse. And verse, effectively the verse says, for we know that we are his workmanship which he hath before ordained for good works. That's the nature of why you are created. And so if your grandchild, and I'll say grandchild because this group here, uh, the work with our kids is done. And so now it's your grandchild. So if your grandchild says, Grandpa, Grandma, why am I created? Give him Ephesians 2.10. You're created for good works that he has before ordained, all right, that he has called for you even before you were created. Uh, We sometimes do not emphasize this part of our Christian walk enough about the importance of doing good. Uh, And and in fact, sometimes we seem afraid to say it. And I'll say this, we believe that you don't get to heaven because of good works. Amen, church? Church? It's not your good works that's going to get you to heaven. You are saved by the grace and mercy of God. You understand? You are saved only by the faith that you have in God. You are fully justified by faith in God. But but God expects you to walk in that faith and in that justice, and he expects you to do good works. It's the veritable proof that you are saved. You have the fruit of the Spirit. He's given it to you. And so you have to walk in that Spirit and emphasize this. This is what our responsibility is as Christians. Uh, Certainly we are committed to the doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone, but we know at the same time uh, we have a responsibility to do good. Uh, And we have to do this because this is how God expects us to spread the gospel. We are saved by God's grace in order to live a transformed lives in which doing good 
is a key part of that life. Now, once we have experienced God's salvation, we're called to respond to that grace that he's given us and redeeming love uh, by living lives that demonstrate his goodness, characterized by the goodness of God. He's given it to you. It resides in your heart. As people saved by grace, we are committed uh, to doing good and being good and living a righteous life and spreading that good to a lost world uh, in every way, in our public life and in our church life. Look, it's not just in church where you're called to do good. It's out there in the parking lot as well. Uh, Paul spoke on this theme often. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's your first responsibility, to do good to the family of believers. Lift them up, affirm them, love them, be generous towards them in every possible way. And here's the practical of this message. That is how God wants you to live. Look also at Colossians verse, chapter 1, verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That is how you live a life worthy of God. You exhibit this fruit, this fruit of the Spirit. The very goodness of God, you exhibit it to a lost world. Now, why does Paul put such a strong emphasis on Christians being people who do good works? Why, in other words, why uh, is goodness an essential part of the fruit of the Spirit, which should become evident in our lives in every way that we do, evident in our attitude, evident in our thinking, uh, and evident in our behavior? And this is the practical of this message. One major reason is that it reflects the nature and truth of the gospel. The gospel is about goodness. It's about goodness. It's about the goodness of God. You want to spread the gospel to a lost world, and you think that you don't have the ability to be a preacher, but you have the ability to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life and to exhibit that in your life. That's how God wants you to act. That's how God wants you to impact the lost. It reflects the dynamism of the cross. It reflects the resurrection. Paul is echoing exactly what Jesus did at the cross, what God did through Jesus at the cross. Because at the veritable cross itself, God overcame all human and satanic evil in creation by bearing it in himself. God defeated evil on the cross, in the person of Jesus Christ. And your responsibility is to exhibit that in your life because he saved you, because he called you out of that. The cross, you see, is the ultimate expression of the goodness of God. And the resurrection proves its victory even over this dark world. Goodness overcomes evil in every way. I read the last page of the Bible. We win. You understand? We win. We win. This is the heart of the gospel. And so when you leave here today, I want you to know this. 
I want you to have this resonating in your heart that that's why God has called you to be a Christian. You just weren't called to be a Christian to come out here on Sunday, spend an hour together, drink some coffee, have some cookies, you know, we love each other, then you go home and you live whatever kind of a life you want. No, it begins here, it continues in the parking lot, and it, and it subsumes every part of your life. This is who we are. This is what he has called us to do. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we respond, when we respond to evil in the world by acting in kindness and in goodness, we're only bearing the supernatural fruit of the spirit of God within us. We are living in the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we anticipate the final victory of God over all this evil in this world, and it's coming, all right? Indeed, we are living in the cross. We are living in the resurrection. Uh, and so we know that we're not doing good to earn salvation, but we're doing good to lift up the cross of Jesus Christ. We're doing good to lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're doing good so that our lives emanate the kind of goodness that God has given us. Yes, yes, each and every one of you today has within your heart the very spirit of God. You can be incredibly good. You can be incredibly generous. All you have to do is let the power of the Holy Spirit flow out of your life. Flow out of your life. Uh, and so let us pray that the power of the Spirit revitalizes us and changes us so that we can bear this fruit and cultivate this fruit and pray to God that we cultivate it. Look, here's the bottom line. Do what is good and let God bear the responsibility for what follows. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this message. I thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we are amazed that the veritable Spirit, your Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus resides in our heart. The Spirit of goodness, God, that you have, that you've demonstrated with yourself and Jesus demonstrated, even at that cross, is in our heart today. Father, we pray that we will live with this spirit, that we will nurture this spirit, that it will blossom in our life, that we will show a world what it means to be a Christian, and that our lives will draw the lost to you in every possible way. It's not about us, God. It's never about us. It's always about you. As we put all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. amen.